Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. If three hours of me on your airwaves wasn't enough, if six hours of Taylor Doll <laughs> updates wasn't enough, guess what? You get us for another Lord. two hours on this lovely Tuesday. Hey, thanks for joining us. It is Helmets and Heels on December the 26th. And we're excited to be with you, Mia O'Brien, alongside the aforementioned Taylor Doll. And for the first time since he returned to us from H-Town, R.J. Saunders, round of applause, back with the Helmets and Heels family at long last, at least according to my memory and my yeah, track record. He's... So, RJ, welcome back in the saddle on an H&H Tuesday. How you doing, brother man? Oh, absolutely great. Hope you guys had a good holiday. Glad to be back. And I shouldn't even, you know, begin to talk about how much we've been on the air today because RJ has literally been here since what time this morning? Let's see, uh... 345. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So uh so yeah. So uh RJ actually wins the award for So the, uh, the ship is being run. Yes. As, as much <laughs> as as much as Taylor time. texted me earlier today and was like, "Okay, we have to do this, this, this and this when you get into the office." The reality is the reason the building did not crumble over Christmas break was because of RJ Saunders. Yeah. And so a round of applause to him. Excited to be with you. Even in despite of a, another Jaguars loss. Uh if you're watching on YouTube, which of course all of our 1010XL programming is streamed live on YouTube, I did try to change it up this week, Taylor, mm-hmm. uh, even without Lauren Brooks this week off on vacay. I'm trying to move my seat. I'm yeah, not superstitious, just a little <laughs> stitious. Maybe we can create some sort of good juju um, to get the Jaguars off the snide. If you thought well, if it works, we're changing. It. Oh, yeah, then I'm going to sit here. Lauren, <laughs> sorry, we're going to be like cramps, cramping each other's style the rest well, of the season. I'll just sit on this side of the table. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, if you thought Rock Bottom was um, a heartbreaking loss to Jake Browning, if you thought Rock Bottom was getting beat by Joe Flacco and the Browns, if you thought Rock Bottom was being embarrassed by the Ravens in the fourth quarter with self-inflicted wounds on Sunday Night Football, you did not know what was coming in Tampa Town this past weekend. 30-12, to 12, the Bucks prevail over the Jags. This one was never in doubt. And, and Taylor, you know, I, I hope it's a wake-up call. Yeah. But I would have hoped that the last three weeks had been a wake-up call. Yes, yeah, same. I, I honestly feel like I've been hoping since London that there was some sort of wake-up call for certain aspects of the game to uh, become more alive, become more consistent, become more reliable. And it's almost gone the opposite way of what I was – actually, it definitely has gone the opposite way. Granted, ton of injuries, that's a big part of what we are seeing right now because if you would have told me in week four or five the long list of injuries we'd be dealing with, and including multiple by Trevor Lawrence – I, I wouldn't have believed you just because of how healthy they had stayed early in the season and last year. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that are going really wrong with this football team. And you, re- you they have two weeks to switch it around. And both Trevor and Doug said that today. So there is a little bit of urgency behind that. And at least they recognize that. The Jaguars fell behind from basically the jump uh, going into halftime, shut out once again for a second straight week down 20 to nothing at the intermission. Part of that, of course, was turnovers by Trevor Lawrence and coming away from Doug Peterson's availability this afternoon, Taylor, for a second straight week. It really felt like that was what Doug was hitting home the most, that, mm-hmm. you know, the everybody's got to take fo- care of the football, but especially the quarterback. Yeah. Coupled this week with the tackling, yeah. um, which, again, the first six, seven games of the season, yeah. we were looking around like, man, you know what? Second year of the Mike Caldwell system, second year of all these players playing with each other. It looks like they have figured it out. Mm-hmm. They've learned to play off each other. 
But the missed tackles have come fast and furious, just as fast and furious as the turnovers over the last two weeks. Yeah, and that's definitely – that's one of the things – I feel like weekly you can say, but certain weeks you say more so of uh, just win the turnover turnover battle and avoid the big mistakes as in the penalties, a lot of times pre-snap penalties, things like that are really what lose you football games, especially when they're close. This one was not close. So, um, it, and a lot of that was because those things were so drastically different on each side of the ball. And uh, it was interesting because I was listening to, I think it was on Friday, uh, Dan and Jeff were going over kind of their predictions of what were, what was going to happen this weekend. And Jeff had made a comment about how the Jags were drastically better in every area than the Bucks, And I literally, like, cringed in my car because I was like, no, they're not, honestly, at this point in time of how they're playing football. Because when you went and looked statistically at the previous four or five games of each team, the Bucks were right there or better in almost every category statistically than the Jags have been recently. And so you can look at the season as a whole and maybe say that, but what you have to focus on is what kind of football they're playing right now. And it hasn't been very good football for a while. And the Bucks have been finding ways to win yeah whether that was Baker's perfect passer rating up in Green Bay Mm -hmm. or this past weekend which you know we just had coach Campo on for three hours with primetime and we were discussing what the Ravens did to Brock Purdy and company by just being the more physical defense and obviously turning the ball over which is paramount yeah but you know you or and then if you even look to in the real example we were looking at this weekend in the National Football League was the Chiefs and the Raiders, which we'll get to that game coming up in the second hour of Helmets and Heels. But what Antonio Pierce and that Raiders coaching staff did was they went back to the 2020 Super Bowl mm-hmm. and they said, how did Todd Bowles and the Bucks beat Patrick Mahomes? And it was by being physical, yep. by forcing him into bad situations, all of which, and then playing man defense, which sounds so elementary on the yeah. surface. But that's sometimes the, it comes back to that. And it's the same exact thing. That Todd Bowles did to the Jaguars yeah. in the same exact weekend. Yeah, and it, it's that's just the unfortunate thing because it feels like the Jags haven't been able to figure that out on their side on either side of the ball, and it almost feels like other teams have majorly figured out the Jags on every aspect. Correct. And I think the the things that were working in the beginning of the season, teams had watched and been like, okay, well, this is how we cover this receiver or this is how we get past some of the line and like I said injuries are involved in all of these things but they have been able to figure out what rattles Trevor Lawrence and they know that Trevor Lawrence is what people rely on to win a lot of the games the Jacks have had so if you find ways to force turnovers from Trevor Lawrence and you find ways to rattle Trevor Trevor they figured out that that's kind of the recipe to win the football game against the Jaguars which is wild to think because I think at the midway point of the season our program along along with several others on this station said that the offensive MVP was Travis Etienne. Yeah. And yet he had six carries for 12 yards. Yeah. And I understand they were behind the eight ball basically from the jump because of the Mm -hmm. Trevor turnovers, and they were in a 20-0 hole at half. Yeah. For me, and this dates back to midway through the season, even during that five-game win streak, even if you're only up X amount or you're behind by a field goal, that should not be a reason to abandon the run if your best player is your running Running back. back. Yeah. And that's why I actually tweeted earlier because I think that both the, the trenches in general and in this tweet, I kind of just reiterated how important it is. I get we're in a passing lead, a passing league, but the trenches are so important. And this is a stat, Mia, that really like kind of has popped out to me because going along with the ETN that you just said. But after starting with one of the top run defenses in the league, which in the beginning, that's what we were talking about so much. Like nobody can run on this Jags defense. And it felt like it was like that for the first eight weeks. So weeks one through eight. The Jags had their uh, 
634 total yards in those eight weeks were rushed on the Jags, only 79.3 yards per game. Since then, this is the Niners game in week nine, weeks nine through 15, that's including a bye, so actually a game less, um, 886 yards on the Jags, 126.6 yards per game. And then when you flip that— Almost 50 more yards a game. Yes, and when you flip that, at the same time, the Jags run— uh, their offense, when it comes to running the ball, went from 112.5 yards per game to 72.7 yards per game. It cut almost in half. You can't do that. Like, you have to be able to run the ball. And we talked a lot about how, you know, how much is on the line and them not being able to run because of those situations. But you have to be able to rely on Travis Etienne and get him the ball. Not give up on it either. There might be a few runs where he gets stuffed and it doesn't work. But eventually, they're not going to want Trevor to go for those big throws all the time. So they'll have to start backing off a little bit. And that's when Etienne can get some of those big plays. Real quick, you want to know what's wild? The Bucks averaged 1.9 yards per carry on the ground. It wasn't even like they gashed crazy. you. No, and you don't have to. The Jags defense is stop the run so we can have fun. And I think they pressured Baker Mayfield, but they were just in such an early hole and they couldn't tackle in the open field. Yeah. And so little six, seven yard chunk plays yeah. turn into the difference and having great field position because of untimely errors by yeah. the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence finished 17 of 29 for 211 yards, a touchdown two picks. Uh, his day, though, was cut short after he suffered what is being called an AC joint sprain in his throwing shoulder. Without further ado, RJ, let us hit the up injury update. The personal injury attorneys of Farah and Farah present this injury update. Farah and Farah. Jacksonville. Exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars. So it's a sprained right shoulder for Trevor Lawrence after an MRI yesterday. According to Ian Rappaport, it's not believed to be a major injury. It's unclear how this affects his availability this week. We spoke with Doug Peterson, as I mentioned earlier today. He said that while Trevor is less sore than yesterday, he's continuing to progress. They'll see if he actually can practice tomorrow. He said it's too early to tell. The Jaguars did sign Matt Barkley to the active roster. So between the practice squad and the active roster, that makes four quarterbacks. Part of that, you're probably wondering, like, why if they have C.J. Beathard, would they need another quarterback? Mm -hmm. They were signing Matt Barkley off of the Giants practice squad, and so therefore you have to sign him to the active roster, and he has to be up there for three weeks. Um, They do have E.J. Perry on the practice squad. As well, biggest injury coming out of the Bucks game besides Trevor Lawrence. Special teams ace Daniel Thomas broke his forearm and will miss time as he was placed on the reserve injured list. And so, all things assuming, his season is most likely done. Obviously, a blow as okay. he. Yeah. I mean, just one week ago with the highlight from yeah. uh, from from a, a lot of low amongst a lot of lowlights. <laughs> the one highlight for the Jaguars on Sunday Night Football was Daniel Thomas gunning down the Ravens yeah. return man. And so, obviously, he will be missed, and that's another piece and another experience piece because he is in his fourth year in the final year of his rookie deal. That could be depth for you in the secondary. Now he is out. Speaking of the secondary, Doug Peterson said that both Andre Sisco and Tyson Campbell came out of the game healthy. They obviously were sat down a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounded like, because Doug really didn't go into details as to why, that was simply load management and mm-hmm. the game was out of hand and they wanted to see some younger guys, I guess. Yeah. Um, he didn't want to use the word Russ, but it seemed like he... Oh, he used the word Russ. Yeah, I know. He's like, I don't want to, but Russ. <laughs> but Russ. Um, and, you know, and I've seen plenty of, you know, you listeners on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures, which we are, of course, accepting your text at 641-1010. Plenty of you guys have said today, Buster Brown has looked better than Tyson Campbell throughout the second half of this season. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with you. Yeah, It's just, you know, if you want to call it rust, you call it rust. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's unfortunate that, you know, he's come back from one injury, got lit up, mm-hmm. suffered another injury, then gets further setback in a year that was supposed to be 
not a contract year because next year is his final year of his rookie yeah. deal, but a year in which he proved he's a top 10 corner in the yeah. National Football League and deserves an, an, a, an extension. And a year that a lot of people were finally talking about it nationally and then, well, injury. Some good news along the offensive line. Let's get to that before we take our first break. Cam Robinson expected to practice tomorrow with his 21-day window being open to return from the reserve injured list. Anton Harrison, meanwhile, suffered a back injury against the Bucks. He is just sore and will be okay, expected to play this Sunday against the Carolina Panthers. Doug Peterson said if those two players are indeed active on Sunday, it would be Cam Robinson at the left tackle position, Anton Harrison at right tackle, Ezra Cleveland at left guard, and Walker Little would be the swing, Mm -hmm. which is obviously a a point of contention among the – those who have critiques of personnel moves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Walker Little is a second-round pick. How can you have him on the bench? I can tell you this. Walker Little has been sore as all get-out the last two weeks. Mm -hmm. So has Ezra Cleveland. Those two guys have been playing through injuries, which I know Leon Searcy says, if if you're healthy enough to play, you need to play at 100%. But along the offensive line, you cannot deny that if both your left tackle and your left guard aren't 100%, it's going to be a struggle. It's just the nature of how, you know, how the sport works. Yeah. And so, obviously, that will also be a situation to monitor uh, as far as moving forward. Oh, one more. More optimism. Zay Jones missed Sunday's game with a hamstring injury. Doug Peterson said he is optimistic that he will be able to play on Sunday. And that, obviously, would be a huge boost. Definitely. For a Jaguars wide receiver core that was without Zay once again, as well as Christian Kirk in that 30-12 to loss to the Bucks. How do they fix it? Where do they go from here? Let's address that and a whole lot more coming up next right here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Sports with a glass of Chardonnay. Helmets and heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. It's the Taylor and Mia show. Once again, Lauren Brooks on vacay. RJ Saunders pinch hitting for JJ LaSelva. A happy limbo week, as I like to call it to you all, in between Christmas and New Year's. Thanks for sticking with us right here on Helmets and Heels driven by Tire Outlet as we look back and look ahead to the Jaguars' Week 15 matchup with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers before we look ahead to the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Let us review our impact players, Taylor Dahl. Um, yes. Would we like to begin with Lauren Brooks and J.J. LaSalva, who left us their impact players? Yeah, let's uh, maybe start just offensively mm-hmm. for all of you. Yes. Uh, so, J.J., his offensive was C.J. Beathard. Uh, because obviously there was a question mark at the time of Trevor with the concussion. Uh, Beathard did get to play a little bit. Yeah, nice final stat line, too. 11 of 15 for 94 yards, a touchdown, no picks, one sack, yes, but an 111.5 QB rating, which uh, not too shabby. Yeah, yeah, so I guess he and I guess you I can know say it was garbage little, time, little, folks. Yeah, yes. say, say what you want. Yes, it was garbage <laughs> time. They were in prevent defense, but at the very least, the offense looked like it was moving up and down the field. Yes, uh, Lauren had Jamal Agnew as her offensive player. How One you- catch, 12 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in the return game, there were moments where it yeah. felt like he was going to. There was a know, couple where you felt were so close. You, th- you thought he was going to break yeah. one, and it just never came to yeah, pass. Yeah, but only a one receiving yard for for, for 12 One, yards. Catch. one yep. catch for 12 yards for him. And then you had Luke Fortner. How do you feel about that um, Yeah, so that one, obviously, folks know, was uh, it was a. It, there was a reason to it um, mm-hmm. because he'd be going up against Vita Vea. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's obviously no small task. I, I think the most viral um, 
photo or at least aspect of Luke Fortner's game from Sunday is now there's a graphic floating around, like mm-hmm. a screenshot of, I'm not sure if it's Ezra Cleveland or Brandon Scherf, but he's mm-hmm. literally blocking into him oh. as opposed to a Bucks defender. Oh. Um, look, and I see some of you on the text line brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures noting about how much the interior of this offensive line has struggled. Yeah. Make no two cents about it. Like, that Definitely. is that has been an issue. There is no question about it, especially in the run game. In pass pro, though, they continue to not grade out as awful as it appears on the surface. Mm-hmm. Part of that, as we'll get into, is tight ends missing assignments. Mm-hmm. Part of it is, which Doug Peterson readily admitted, which was almost surprising today, the lack of communication, or rather the lack of understanding, should I say, between the wide receivers and Trevor Lawrence when yeah. he makes kills and and changes the play at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. and the wide receivers don't know where to be, and that in turn compromises the entire operation. Yeah. And so, look, I am not saying that they get a pass because by far and away, Luke Fortner in the second half of this season has not taken that step forward you would hope for in his second year. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, especially when you're going up against an indomitable force like Avita Vea um, and company. And so I think, yes, it's, it, it's disappointing, yeah. the regression of this interior of the offensive line. What can they do to fix it in two weeks' time? I'm not really know. sure. Yeah. Um, outside of face the Carolina Panthers and hope for the best. Well, and that's what I think also some of it maybe when you're looking at PFF rankings and they're not as low either, it poss- it also could be that Trevor is able to get the ball out a lot, qu- uh, pretty quick most of the time. Obviously, we've seen that fall apart in certain situations, but that does help your offensive line look better a lot of times. Just like how sometimes people, you know, the good offensive lines blocking make the quarterback look better because they do have more time to do what they need to do or make running backs look top in the league, right. uh, which is why we are probably seeing struggles there. And I think we debunked this with Mike DiRocco on Jaguars today a couple weeks ago. ESPN analytics, they all of their, like, it, whether or not the quarterback was sacked mm-hmm. or whether or not the pressure or the, the blocking held up, um, uh, it's based around 2.5 seconds. And yeah. I think PFF, it's 2.0 seconds. Yeah. And it's like, well, if Trevor's getting the ball out in 2.3 seconds – then obviously the plays where he's holding the ball longer because that's not how the offense is necessarily designed. Those yeah. are the plays where he's susceptible to being brought down. Yes, definitely. Um, all right, so defensively for you guys, Lauren had Darius Williams. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling about that? Um, four that, was a, that was a challenge. Four for tackles, yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't think there was ever a world where he was going to be able to replicate his first half of the season. Yeah. Um, but certainly has teetered off a little bit, which is a bit concerning. Yeah. Part of that, I, you I mean, know. Those I, weapons in Tampa are... Oh, absolutely legit. And this is a de- the Jaguars defense was built to play zone, predominantly yeah. zone. And they saw the matchup and said, you know what? We, we got to try to play man. And uh, it was a decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, a couple times it was quite the decision because <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it came back to bite them. Yeah. However, I don't think that outside of the missed tackles in the open field, I'm not really sure you can fault the defense completely yeah. for this loss. I agree. but And we have seen – this has been a thing, honestly, since a little earlier in the season where people were commenting about missed tackles. And I remember Doug at that time came out and kind of said it was miscommunication and there was the whole thing about whether, you know, the noise and how loud it was and things like that. But we're continuing to see mm-hmm. certain players just not be able to tackle. And at that point when – um, it that's when you're giving up big plays, and that's when you also start feeling like you get the defense starts getting frustrated when there's big missed tackles and whiffed on tackles. Um, Mia, you had Rayshon Jenkins, who I think played well. Yep. I think Rayshon's been playing really well lately, honestly. Yep, second leading tackler on Sunday. Um, he had one game, I think it was either the Browns or the Bengals, one of the two 
you could throw that one in the trash can. Mm-hmm. But aside from that one game, I think he's been pretty consistent. Yeah. Um, maybe not forcing turnovers at the rate as he was a year ago. Yeah. But, I mean, consistent. At the same time, the leading tackler was Foye Aluikin, yeah. who has been Go figure. <laughs> the leading tackler in the National Football League the last two years. And I counted a handful where he missed his yeah. assignment or was a step behind. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's been rough all over. Yeah. Um, but I think in terms of the final score, yes, they gave up 30 points, but I'm not really sure you can pin it completely on the defense. Yeah. Um, and then JJ, of course, as usual, had Trayvon Walker. Good pick for a second week in yeah, a row. Yeah, back-to-back good picks. He had another sack. A tackle for loss, QB hit five total tackles this week. So you you are consistently seeing progression from Trayvon, which I think is what we wanted. Maybe some people wanted it a little faster, but it is getting to the point where you are finally seeing things on the stat sheet, um, which I know it isn't all about the stat sheet, but a lot of people want to go look at that. And you're finally seeing that transfer over to uh, that area with Trayvon too. And maybe it's sticking out a little more because other players aren't playing as well. So he's having a little more time to shine in certain areas. But he definitely has improved. I think it's also sticking out because given that Josh Allen has the fourth most pressures in the National Football League, Mm -hmm. you're seeing him get double and triple teamed. And I understand he hasn't had a sack in the last two weeks and people are panicking. Um, I would think that will change against the Carolina Panthers and a holy offensive line. Yeah. Um, But we'll see. Um, But I think a big part of it is that teams are scheming around Josh Allen that's freed up Trayvon Walker. Look, it was never going to be a one- or two-year, here he is, fully formed. Yeah. I don't think that was ever the expectation. It was always about ceiling. And it looks like the ceiling is still there. Yeah. And he's continuing to climb towards it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think that a lot of people, that's what you can ask for at this time. I get everybody's always going to go back to, you picked him number one overall. But at the end of the day, if he's making impact on the football field, that's what you can ask for at this moment in time. All right, so my, obviously, opposing players uh, didn't go well again this, well, I guess went well for them, but not went well for us this week. Once again, I had Mike Evans, who obviously had two touchdowns, 86 yards, uh, and then Winfield, who had a fumble recovery, a sack, a tackle for loss. Great pick, Taylor. (laughs) Well done. Everything you can name, Winfield got and some sort of tally in that, but that's why I picked those two players. Those were two players that I was highly concerned about uh, when it comes to what the Jags' weaknesses have been recently, and they were able to shine in both categories, and that's things that I think moving forward um, we really need to focus on. I'll start sending my my impact players to the Jags and be like, here's two players. Here are the two guys you really need to key in on. Here you go. Fantastic. Uh, so we will switch over now to this week. Uh, we have our impact players now as the Jags get ready to play the Panthers. The Panthers, the worst team in the league right now, still have the number one pick, giving it to the Bears. Um, so it's a definitely go Jaguars times two for me this weekend. Uh, but what do you say, Mia, for your offensive player? Yeah, for offensive, I am going to go with Cam Robinson. Um, I know it's not a guarantee he's going to play, but hey, JJ uh, hedged his bet on CJ Beathard. I'm going to hedge my bet on Cam. Mm-hmm. It's wild to think that a year ago or even, heck, six months ago, Everyone was writing this off as Cam's final year in Jacksonville, knowing the $22 million cap hit that lies ahead in twenty four in 2024, mm-hmm. knowing you had Walker Little waiting in the wings, especially the way he played the first four weeks of the season when Cam was suspended. Yeah, The writing was on the wall. This is his last year. And now we have entered a world in which people are saying, well, you know, the Jags are 6-2 and two or 7-1 and one when Cam plays, and the run mm-hmm. game looks so much better, and this, that. 
begging for him to come here back. Here we are. <laughs> Who would have thunk that in the, in the end, we're all begging for Cam Robinson to come back to rejuvenate or help find some semblance of a run game. And so um, I think he plays, and I think it'll help. Um, I think the level of competition certainly helps too oh, yeah. um, in terms of if the Jaguars are able to run the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's – I still don't think it's going to be easy. And no. I think that much like the Titans game a few weeks ago, it is going to require – a commitment to the run. Yep. You cannot abandon it. Even if you go down seven or ten nothing, you need to stick with that run yeah. because, and you need to get those offensive linemen out in space. As much maligned as the interior of the offensive line has been, yeah. everyone loves to talk about that play against the Texans in Houston, in which Ezra Cleveland's like getting downfield and Brandon Scherf's downfield. Those guys are at their best when you get them out in space. Mm-hmm. So stop calling plays yeah. in which they're just asked to just go straight, straight up the ball. middle. Yeah. Try to get him out in space. Which And the, another thing that I think is underrated factor of Cam is just the toughness, protect your quarterback, a little feisty sometimes, but you want that out of your offensive lineman because he you want that guy that you know is going to be there for the quarterback. And not saying these other guys don't have Trevor's back, but Cam just has that little extra oomph a lot of times. And there's a reason that this offseason we were highly concerned to start the season without Cam. And we can go back and we could say, you know, Walker Little was playing well, so maybe we forgot about it a little bit. But the, the talking point all of August was like, what do we do on this line without Cam Robinson? And so there's a reason that was a conversation. So, yes, that'll be – we'll see what happens this weekend, obviously, with that. But uh, for Lauren's similar route, she went with this. She said the entire offensive lineman mm. for obvious reasons. Sounds like a JJ pick. <laughs> Making up the rules as we go here. (laughs) But, I mean, I get it. Just as you said, solidifying and really being able to dive into that run game is going to be a big factor of the Jags possibly winning out and holding their – their spot at the top of the AFC. Absolutely. Did JJ submit his offensive? He did. So JJ's offensive is ETN. So kind yep. of along the same route. Um, yep. Also, it's, you have to run the ball this week. You have to learn, and not even just this week, going into the playoffs. Playoff teams are going to be able to run the the ball at a certain capacity, yep. and you, and that's something that is going to be highly focused on, and other teams are probably seeing that it's lacking. Yes. Um, if you can't run the ball on third and one or you can't run the ball when you have a lead to effectively close out a game, you are an unserious football team. Yeah. It's just the reality of the National Football League when we get to December and January. It is what separates the pretenders from the contenders. On defense, uh, I actually just called an audible. Oh. I had Foye Oluwakin written down. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go Darius Williams, and you want to know okay. why, Taylor? Why? Uh, I'm going to leave you leave it up to you to pick the impact players for the opposition. Yeah. Uh, but guess who had two touchdowns last week for the Carolina Panthers? Old friend alert, oh, DJ Shark. So, yeah, I think he's finally healthy, and obviously he's finding some sort of chemistry with Bryce Young in the second half of the season. So, yeah, that is – let's see, you already let Shaq Griffin come back into Duval and – Get a win week three. Do not let our good friend DJ DJ Chark Chark. get a win either. Yep, so important one for Darius Williams. And obviously we've talked about, too, we just mentioned how there's been a little bit of a down arrow for him, too, recently. So another game for him to probably bounce back on track. Um, Not with, like, a technically top receiver, but someone who recently has had a spark and is starting to find a connection with their quarterback. Uh, so let's see, Lauren, her defensive. She also said Darius Williams, and mm. she said because covering Chark slash Thielen, um, Adam Thielen's get it. He's actually had a pretty decent year, not a ton of touchdowns, but when it comes to being able to get those yards and big catches, uh, he's been able to do that. So she had Thielen for, I mean, sorry, Darius Williams also, which mm. 
matches up with yours again. There we go. Yeah. And uh, we already know who JJ's is, yeah. Trayvon Walker, Trayvon Walker, which last two weeks has proved to be per- perhaps the best impact player of any, any of us. And Taylor, so for the Carolina Panthers, who are our impact players? Yep, so I actually am going to say Adam Adam Thielen. I know we just mentioned Chark coming off two touchdowns, but Thielen's about to eclipse 1,000 yards on the season. He hasn't had a touchdown, though, since week six, so let's not let that happen this weekend. Uh, again, he's able to really rack up that those – the numbers when it comes to receiving yards, which becomes dangerous because if a team, if you are able to run the ball, which the Panthers can do at times, uh, it does help when you just get down in the red zone and are able to get those short yardage plays with your running back. So uh, I'm going Thielen for my offensive player. And those, and then defensive. Yep, uh, defensive. I'm going to say I think I was going back and forth between trying to say if I wanted to go Burns. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously that's a name everybody knows. He's still he's having an okay season, not absolutely phenomenal. He makes plays. He does. He knows how to get sacks. I think he has six this season. But um, I'm going to say Frankie Luvu. Is that how you say it? Luvu, Luvu. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and the reason I'm going to say that is because he's been all over the field this season. And I think that maybe because Burns is having a little bit of a down season, or maybe because it's a similar situation where they're fo- putting a lot of focus on Burns, he's been able to break free a little bit. But he's in the top 20 for tackles in the league he has five and a half sacks uh just a half a sack behind brian burns he has five passes defended a forced fumble he's on the verge of passing all of his career highs uh throughout his career i think five six years now so that's somebody to focus on because like i said it's just been one of those situations i feel like the last four weeks where every the the guy that you should focus on they aren't um maybe it's because in previous games there's been multiple you have to and this one, I think there's two, three players that you really have to, you know, really focus on, and he's one of them. But So I'm going to say Frankie, Luvu, Lavu, however you say that. Those are our impact players, but before we take our next time out, I am curious. You can kind of take us behind enemy lines as much as, it, as much as it was over two months, or almost two months ago, Taylor. When the Bears faced the Panthers, at that point the Panthers were 1-8. and eight. Mm-hmm. Frank Reich was still the head coach yes. of, the, of the Carolina Panthers at that point. A different world. It was a different <laughs> world, I understand, yes. But perhaps was there a player that you look back on that game and you say, hey, I, I didn't even know he was on the Panthers? That game was so weird. That was a 16-13 game. That was an awful game um, on both sides. Obviously, Justin Fields didn't play. Bajent was in. A lot of things started catching up for uh, the Bears during that game. And I don't think there was anybody. The one thing that I remember standing out the most was that there wasn't one player that I felt like completely went off. But Bryce Young used so many guys, and I think that was the difference. I think there was like five, six receivers that mm-hmm. had maybe 20-plus yards during that. I can't remember exactly. I just re- kind of faintly remember talking Nine about Nine different it. players Thielen. caught passes. Yes. So a, a ton of different guys catching passes, obviously. Um, Hubbard, they didn't run the ball a ton either, but the Bears have the best – they do have the re- best run defense in the league right now. So guys can't really run on them. So I remember them being able to really – shift that over quickly and use a lot of guys as weapons so that was a a kind of interesting thing to me to watch because when I going in I remember talking about that game and being like okay well they have like two guys who can catch the ball and I don't even think Chark played that game I think he was hurt he was hurt yeah so it that was they were able to shift around not having Shark and go to Thielen and go to Mingo and then Hubbard caught some passes and so I do remember that being an aspect of there were a lot of different guys that you it, you didn't. It wasn't just Adam Thielen to watch. There were several that could get the ball. And Frankie Luvu was the leading tackler in that game as oh. well for the Carolina. Maybe Panthers. that's why his name popped out. Yeah, in my head. the uh, the six year man out of Washington State. Who would have thought? Long yeah. live the two pack. Yeah. All right. When we come back, we will keep it on the Jaguars, but also span the National Football League. Uh, first, we do have 
some sound to listen to from Doug Peterson. And boy, oh boy, are we going to have some fun with that. That's coming up next right here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. A Tuesday night tradition in Duval. Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. There we go, RJ. Nothing like a little Ed Sheeran. Pump the vibes up a little bit. Get you ready for what we're hoping, praying, surely will be. A Jaguars victory for the first time in the month of December in 2023, this Sunday. It is still Christmas week, is it not? Do it you is. Can, do you consider this Christmas week, limbo week? What, what do you consider this, Taylor Doll? It is that. It's that, I guess, after Christmas, but there's definitely still the Christmas vibe. Most people still have their decorations up. They're still. You can still go see lights if you want to. Most of Christmas activities do go through this week. Um, bowl games are starting that still kind of have that Christmas vibe. And so it, it still is that right before you really start focusing on, okay, hey, it's Happy New Year, you get a couple more days of Christmas, I feel like. Is there anyone out there that rushed to take their Christmas decorations down on December 26th? I, I do. I've heard of people doing really? that to where it's like day after stuff comes down. Usually it's people who are very, like, things super tidy and are like, feel like it's cluttered when it's too much for too long. I personally don't. I always take mine right after New Year's. Right. Um, or maybe on New Year's Day when you're off and you have some time to do it. But there's no way that I'm going to have Christmas and then the next day get up and take my stuff down. And I was I don't rem- even pack when I get back from a trip right, right away. And <laughs> I was reminded when I was thinking about it, like, all right, when am I going to be able to take the Christmas decorations down? Um, I know I was one of many mm-hmm. that refused to take it down until the Jaguars lost a game oh, yeah. a, one Christmas ago because they were on that win streak ever since so, so many of us. should get them down opposite. Put- <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It's funny you say that, Taylor, because I was thinking about it. I'm like, okay, I put my tree up the Friday... No, actually. Mm. Big brain. Ooh. I like where your head's at. Because mm. I hung the Christmas decorations the Friday before I left for Houston. Oh. We didn't put the tree up until after. X-Files music, if you may, RJ, <laughs> if you have it available. Um, because I put the tree up after, and the yeah. Jaguars have not won a game since. Oof. So yeah, maybe I'm, that's it. Maybe it is opposite. Maybe that's what the script says. And uh, I got to take the tree down yeah. this week if the Jaguars are to win. On Sunday. Uh, even, so- sorry, even Michelle. So we have our Christmas decorations down here. We have the like hanging ornaments that I kind of put up into the ceiling. It takes a lot of time. And she texted me on Friday. She's like, remember to take the ornaments down next week. And in my head, I was like, when? Like, when right. am I going to have time to take these ornaments That's down That's why this it's week? limbo week. Yeah. Because you're like, I'm still getting ready for New Year's. Mm-hmm. But also, like, I, I don't want Christmas to end. But also, apparently, if I'm if this is the jinx, maybe I... I, I should take them down. Uh, speaking of limbo, that's where the Jaguars kind of find themselves in amidst a four-game losing streak. Yep. Doug Peterson met with reporters this afternoon, and uh, he was asked about instilling confidence back in the locker room. Well, no, not really. Um, you know, I just got to keep reminding him of our goals, right, and and keep keep uh, uh, encouraging the guys that to, to stay focused on that. You know, everything's still right in front of us. Got a great opportunity this week. Um, you know, to, to just go one and oh, and, and that's our goal. And I think that's a, a, what you have to do at this point. Um, there's been too much losing, I feel like, recently, five of the last seven, if you want to go beyond the four game losing streak. And at this point, you have two games left that you do need to win. Um, there's a chance you can still make the playoffs without, but it does start obviously decreasing heavily. And how worried are you if I, I feel like you mentioned there was worry after? Cleveland, and then there's worried after the Browns, and now there's like, okay, well, now it's Tampa, but what if it's Panthers? 
then how much does that worry intensify from there? Coach Campo and I said it during crosstalk. If they win this Sunday, they will beat the Titans. They will win the AFC South. Mm -hmm. If they lose, they will lose to Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Even if the Raiders are to somehow beat the Colts in Indianapolis and if the Titans beat the Houston, beat the Houston Texans. Mm -hmm. And then, therefore, the AFC South is still in the balance heading into Week 18. Yeah. I am a firm believer that if, if they can just get a win – just get a win this Sunday. I know, I know we said it last week, too. Yeah. But I think that that will shift that mindset. It's not yeah. about confidence. It's about just like, hey, a reminder, you have won games before. You can do this in the yeah. National Football League. Yeah, and I think that you – I have gotten the vibe the last couple weeks that they do seem a little more down. I mean, Trevor and Doug were both way more – way more open with about the disappointments of how it's looked and faults of their own and saying things that need to be fixed and how this needs to get better and starting to really point out the miscues and pointing out the penalties and all of these things. And both of them kind of in a way mentioned that this was one of the worst games that they have seen because of all of the, all, everything that kind of panned out throughout of, uh, throughout it. So I think it is more so just taking a hold of this game, like you said, and just saying, okay, look, just focus on and what Doug said. Focus on this game right now. All you have to do is win the game on Sunday and just think about that and move on from there. But sitting there stressing yourself out or trying to overpredict all of the scenarios of what needs to happen and doesn't need to happen is not something for a team to do. That's something for us to do. Speaking of those miscues, um, I, I do want to address, since we brought up the offensive line and their woes, but then we mentioned about the miscues. Doug Peterson did say, that two of the awkward-looking interceptions that Trevor threw on Sunday, the receiver didn't get the hand signal to change the play. Quote, that just can't happen. We've got some new guys on offense, but we have to be better. And then, of course, hinted at coaching them up better. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the one that, I mean, yeah. I understand you got two rookies running out there and Elijah Cooks and Parker Washington, which, by the way, Elijah Cooks three catches in the first half, not a single target in the second half. I understand they wanted to get Calvin Ridley more involved. Yeah. It shouldn't have to be that laborsome, though. Yeah. If he's there and he is creating separation, of which I believe somebody did the math on Pro Football Focus, Elijah Cooks had the largest yardage separation of any Jaguars receiver this year. It was like 4.65 yards or something like mm. that. So how are you not getting him the ball? Yeah. I understand wanting to get Calvin Ridley into a rhythm, wanting to, you know, quote-unquote, lather him up. Uh, maybe try that with the offensive line and ETN, <laughs> and then that'll break free, too. Um, but for me... That's the part that is just so not what we were sold on what Doug Peterson yeah. and, you know, what he brings to the table, what mm -hmm. his coaching staff and this this organization yeah. brings to the table. If you have this organization right. is not what we thought it was going to be. And and it's like if this was the only week those things have happened. OK, but we're almost through the season now, and all of your receivers are still making mistakes. There's miscues everywhere. There's missed tackles everywhere. This goes back to coaching also, and a lot of the players are making these mistakes. I, I mean, the Jacks have 28 turnovers. That's third, fourth most in the league, whatever it is. That's too many. That's way too many. And we just talked about the Bucks and how they just keep winning. You know how? Because they have half that amount of turnovers. You can't do that. And we can start blaming everybody we want to do. But at the end of the day, one of those sailed over the receiver's head yesterday. You can maybe say the other one. And maybe it still was a miscue, but it, there was, it was not catchable for the, that wide receiver. And maybe Trevor, who knows what exactly is going on and with the shoulder at Is that he healthy? Time is and, he not? Yes. 
But at the, it's Trevor, like, you were supposed to be that guy, and by this time last year we were feeling that, and at this time this year there's just way too many stakes, mistakes happening for a guy that this is supposed to be taking control of the team, and that's to Trevor and Doug. Since you brought up the injuries, one more from Doug Peterson regarding the inconsistencies that have occurred, perhaps because of shifts in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough because it's the, it's the things that, that, that are within our grasp or within our control we're, we're not doing. You know, a month or so ago, we were, we, were, we were doing some things extremely well. And, you know, right now, right now we're not. You know, the turnovers are the biggest thing. That's the biggest thing right now. That's what's kept us from scoring points in the red zone and, and kicking field goals and putting ourselves in chances and positions to, to win some of these games here. And, so a lot of that obviously has to deal with the offensive line and mm-hmm. the shuffle there, but you cannot deny, and actually I just pulled up the stat with regards to Elijah Cook, so I'll mm-hmm. get to that in a second. This offense has looked different since the moment Christian Kirk went down. Oh, definitely. And that's not an excuse. It's just the reality of what it is, and it's crazy to put Christian Kirk and Tyreek Hill kind of in the same sentence. Not yeah. that Christian Kirk isn't, you know, a, a Pro Bowl-level talent. Tyreek Hill, as we know, is just Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill, <laughs> yeah. um, and perhaps an MVP in the National Football League. Um, And it's just crazy to think that we saw what the Dolphins looked like without Tyreek Hill down the stretch against the Tennessee Titans. And so many people said, oh, my God, the offensive operation is completely different. Then what do you make of the Jaguars, Mm -hmm. Sands, Christian Kirk? Because it's kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. And it is. And that's what we were automatically – I was very concerned the moment it was Kirk because I did feel like we kind of joked about it being Zay. Okay, when Zay wasn't playing, there was a lot there. We were seeing that lack of offense, and we kept being like, okay, well, when Zay's in, it's a different game. Maybe just merely because there was another receiver on the field for these guys to have to cover. But then you lose Kirk, and it drastically feels like it's changing. And it's just so clogged up. Yeah, um, like everything is just discombobulated and, there's and no, laborsome. There's nobody now, and this. Sorry, Calvin, but nobody's too scared of you right now. So mm-hmm. when it was Kirk, they were legitimately they're like, man, Kirk. We and need to Ingram, account for both of them. Both of these guys and Ridley. Now it's just kind of like, all right, well, Ridley's probably going to be in the wrong spot anyways. And then so now just focus on Ingram. Like that's what you're able to do without Christian Kirk. So it really does make a, a big difference. But just in the red zone, because Doug just mentioned that the Jags are 17th. And when it comes to scoring, which they were thirty second at one point this year, yeah, so they've gotten a little better, but it's still fifty four point five fifty four point five five percent in the red zone when it comes to scoring. And the teams after that are ones like Houston, New Orleans, Carolina, Tampa's actually way down there, Atlanta, Pittsburgh, Vegas, Giants, Tennessee, Jets. So it's like teams that you do not want to be clumped with towards the bottom. Uh, Elijah Cooks four point two two yards per route on Sunday, the highest a Jaguars wide receiver has recorded this year. Um, not including Christian Kirk's one catch against the Cincinnati Bengals. And mind you, Elijah Cook's just three catches for 38 yards on nine routes. Um, obviously, even if Zay Jones returns to the field this week, probably going to need to incorporate Elijah Cook's because that was what this offense was supposed to be, the quote-unquote yeah. greatest show on turf, having so many weapons. It doesn't matter, as we've seen from the likes of the Browns, yeah. from uh, the likes of the Colts. I mean, go down the list of guys that, you know, teams that have lost their premier guys – in the right in the wide receiver room at quarterback at running back and they've just plugged in a different name yeah and it's remained the same yeah here's just one thing too because we were talking about that red zone scoring percentage the difference between home and away mia away the jags have the one two three four fifth best scoring percentage away 65.22 percent in the red zone when they're away at home they have the sixth worst 42.86 percent scoring percentage in the red zone at home so that's the 26th yep 
All right, that better change on Sunday. Jags come home to the bank. Can they right the ship? Uh, That remains to be seen. Kickoff 1 p.m., of course, right here on the Superstation. Let us take a look around the National Football League and let us bring you our bell ringers brought to you by Bellwether. Coming up next when Helmets and Heels returns right here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. You're listening to Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Hour number two as Helmets and Heels rolls on into the 7 o'clock hour. Mia O'Brien, Taylor Dahl, RJ Saunders, Lauren Brooks, JJ LaSalva both have the night off. But that doesn't mean that the fun stops. Our bell ringers brought to you by Bellwether, where Timeless American Fair takes a modern turn. Located in downtown Jacksonville on West Forsyth Street. Comes up right now. Lamar Jackson touchdown pass to Nelson Aguilar showing off Lamar's ability to buy time. The big reason why is their inability to cash in with touchdown. On second and goal, Jackson buys time to the end zone for a touchdown, Aguilar. Aguilar with the catch. Cole Komet with a 53-yard pass deep from Justin Fields on the move to set up a score. Out DJ Moore on the field and on first down, Fields off play fake. Flush to the left, wants to load up, wants to go deep for Cole Komet who comes back to get it at the 21 yard line. Working against Jalen Thompson, Komet for 53 and a Bears first down. FAU upsets number one Arizona in double overtime and the Owls are back. They left in double overtime, near sideline. Bradley looking, throws Boswell in the center circle, five seconds, now four. Throw to the right side, a contested three with two, rimmed out, rebound Davis! Florida Athletic is one! Florida Athletic is upset Arizona! And for you, beats Arizona! Florida Atlantic 96, Arizona 95, FAU got the stop, and the Owls are 10-2 on the season! Oh, what a win for Florida Atlantic! The Owls aren't going anywhere, folks. Mm. Who would have thunk last year's Cinderella story from just south of us uh, in South Florida, Boca Raton. Shout out to Frank Forte, who I believe was the one on the call there uh, with FAU Radio. Yeah, that, that was like the most hyped up call I've heard in a while. I hey, feel like. you he, have- like his that entire stretch of the, I was like, yes, I feel this. Uh, so actually, it was Ken Lavica because he's the same play-by-play okay. play announcer who, if you remember, um, solo broadcast okay. out of FAU. They're in the Elite Eight last year at Madison Square Garden. And the power on his Comrex, which, of course, those of us in the radio business can empathize with, the power went out just before they were about to punch their ticket to the Final Four at the Garden. And he somehow got it up during a commercial break, up and running quick enough, that then they were able to have that emotional final call um, to, you know, announce that FAU had gone to the Final Four. And now they beat the number one team in all the land. And, well, yes, uh, we will get to our college basketball recap a little bit later in the program Yes, FAU lost to Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some other close calls. 
The Owls are for real. They brought back the entire starting five from that team that went to Houston in the Final Four a year ago. And, uh, yeah, Dusty May didn't just come back for nothing. He came back to win it all. And, Definitely. Uh, a big win out in the desert over the Cats. So I know you said we will get to college basketball a little bit more. How far did that bump them up for you? Oh, for me, yeah. um, that bumped FAU all the way up to number seven. Oh, nice. And I actually, From- uh, they, I believe I had them at 14. Okay. Um, and actually, uh, apparently, this is the, the weird parts about Twitter, um, you know, that you don't realize who some of these like accounts are online. Um, one of them did the math as far as which AP voters were closest this week to what the actual uh a people turned out to be mm-hmm. and apparently I, it was me and Jeff Borzello of ESPN like we nice. were the two that were closest with the top 10 Love so that. uh so I guess that's kind of the consensus is they are a top 10 team um and obviously will be a storyline to watch for but it's you know it's just so fascinating because in an age of the one and done yeah the fact that we now have the transfer portal which I understand especially on the college football front has upset so many people yeah. but in college basketball it has been one of the most revolutionary things because You have players between that and NIL. I should say NIL is a very big component of this argument I'm about to make, which is if you're a player who recognizes, hey, I'm never going to play in the NBA or I'll, you know, I'll get a two-way deal, I'll play Mm -hmm. in the G League, maybe have a shot at at the big dance, or I have to go play in Europe for a few years. Who's to say that you just go, oh, well, I'm going to make a million dollars staying in college, or if I just transfer schools, which I'm allowed to do now, I will make a million dollars. That's more money than I would make in the G League. So I'm just going to stay in college. And in turn, you're seeing programs like an FAU. Being um, able to return a, a heavy amount of guys. Correct. Like a Purdue, like an Arizona. Yeah. Like that. that is just, I think it's better for college basketball. Mm-hmm. Because you are seeing akin to the early 90s with the Leitner teams and the Hurleys and, you know, Bobby Hurley and obviously, you know, Mike Krzyzewski and that crew, the, the Fab Five at Michigan. You are seeing the same faces in college basketball that were stars last year are stars again this year. And I know there's plenty of folks that don't want to see Zach Eady win player of the national player of the year again. Yeah. And for all I know, Purdue could get bounced again by another number 16 or another 16th seeded squad um, in the opening round of the NCAA tournament. I, I, you know, that could happen too. But I think for purposes of branding, mm-hmm. I think it really helps because then you can like develop these heroes and it can be, I know this is hearsay, but it can be about the name on the back of the jersey as much as it is about the name on the front of the jersey. Definitely. Do you see that, because we talk about it a lot in college football, obviously, when it comes to the transfer portal and how many guys have hit the portal, especially the last few years, how many of the Heisman finalists have been mm-hmm. transfer tra- transfer portal guys. Are you seeing the same amount in basketball? Or are you seeing a little more loyalty or not? Even more so. Oh, okay. Even more so. Uh, I'm actually going to pull up the National Basketball Player of the Year odds um, just so I can tell you how many. Because I know we, we went through the Heisman, and it was like yeah. the top, uh, top three guys that all transferred. Um, Zach Eady has spent his entire college career at Purdue. Hunter Dickinson, notoriously transferred from Michigan to Kansas this offseason. Uh, Filipowski, Dalton Connect, Tyler Kolick, those guys, Tyson Walker, those are guys that are program guys. Mm-hmm. Donovan Klingon as well. Max Abesmith um, mm-hmm. started Oral Roberts. You probably heard of him. He was the nation's yep. leading scorer there. He is now at Texas. Um, yeah, there's Caleb Love um, currently at plus 3,500 for National Player of the Year. He, uh, after five minutes at Michigan, um, transferred from UNC to Arizona. So in terms of the National Player of the Year, as I'm scrolling through this list, it's not as many guys. It's a lot of those program guys, which yeah. is fascinating. That's a really good point that you bring up, Taylor. Um, but I think as a whole, it's it, it is absolutely it open season. And I know, I, I, you know, having done sidelines and play-by-play for UNF and for JU, I've had mm-hmm. conversations with not just 
our coaching staffs here in town, but when we have visiting coaching staffs come in and talking to them and it is, I mean, part of the game Yeah, is, you know, especially at the mid-major level. And that's why what Dusty May has been able to do at FAU is just so impressive because you look at UNF, I mean, they lost four of their five starters mm-hmm. solely because Power Five and Group of Five schools came in and they're, you know, you sweep them up. UNF just doesn't have yeah. the, you know, the financial backing of an Oklahoma State. Yeah. It's just that much larger of an institution. Which is unfortunate for those institutions. Mia, we had uh, Lauren's bell ringer was Lamar Jackson to Nelson Aguilar. Uh, Lamar having a massive year. Yes. And he's now has been already kind of in MVP talks. Now a lot of people are pushing it. Um, obviously, the Ravens are 12-3. and three. That play you really got to see because I think for so long, which I will be the first to admit that I was always one that was like, I just can't fully be on the, like, Lamar is great until I can see a full season of it, until mm-hmm. I can see some playoff aspect of it. Yep. Because we talk, we can every time we talk about one of the great, great quarterbacks, we talk about the playoffs involved in that. And I just feel like we haven't been able to do that with Lamar. Still TBD, obviously, this year. But what he's doing right now looks like he is having one of the seasons. Obviously, in, in 2019, uh, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions that year. He had 3,127 yards. Uh, but we know a big part of his game is being able to run the ball, too. Uh, that year he had 1,206 yards and seven additional rushing touchdowns. Now, this year, uh, still some games left to play through 15 starts. He's completing 66% of his pass at 66.3, which is 0.2% higher than that last year. He has 3,357 yards, so over 200 more yards than he did. The one thing that is interesting when you look at, though, he has 19 total touchdowns Mm -hmm. compared to 36 that previous year and seven interceptions. So one less interception, quite a few less touchdowns when it comes to the passing, when it comes to passing. And then when you go down to his rushing stats this year, he has 786 rushing yards. So and then just 400 ish less. So he's not going to probably hit a thousand. Yeah. Um, unless he just absolutely goes insane the last couple two, the last couple of games. I, well, I guess a couple hundred thirty yard ones would get him right out there. But and then five rushing touchdowns. So the number compared to seven, yeah. the year he won the the, yeah, the so MVP two less, award. still chance to hit that one. Um, for a lot of the numbers, there's chances for him to hit it. The one glaring thing to me is that 19 passing yep. touchdowns compared to 36 passing touchdowns. Uh, but they're winning football games. They have right. 12 wins. That it's not like they've had some super easy path, which we've seen other ones where we're talking about the Cowboys and how you know the, the, a lot of the wins that they've had have been ones where you're like, okay, well, can you be a good team? And I feel like the Ravens have really proven each week. But it's another thing. I think a lot of people are going to wait until we can see what they do in the playoffs before you really determine that level right. of where Lamar can be. Uh, at the same time, I'm so glad you brought up the numbers because when they when they popped the graphic up last night on Monday Night Football and they showed 19 to seven, or I guess it was 16 to seven mm-hmm. at the time for Lamar Jackson. So 16 touch because he had three last night, right? Yeah. So it was 16 to yeah. seven, and Brock Purdy at that time was 29 to seven. Yeah, and it was like. Hello, oh. <laughs> like yeah. what? Yeah, like on paper, statistically speaking, mm-hmm. Purdy has been better. Yeah, but then and Coach Campo brought this up to us in our pre-show meeting for primetime. He just was like, "You you cannot watch how that offense operates and recognize that it would succeed with just any other quarterback plugged in." Talking about the Ravens, correct, correct. The and Ravens would only the succeed for with Lamar. Yeah. And opposite for the Niners, I feel like there's a lot of quarterbacks that you could plug in there and they could at least find success 
in moments and a decent amount that could be pretty good. And I'm not trying to discredit Brock because he's played really well. But the way that Shanahan runs his offenses and the, the weapons they have there and the way they're able to use Christian McCaffrey in every single way possible on the football field just takes that offense to a different level to where I feel like you could plug and play several quarterbacks there and it runs the same. But, yeah, you're no. I don't know if you could put anybody there. Maybe Jalen Hurts is yeah. the closest um, that you could put there that could maybe successfully run the, run the way the Ravens do it. And I'd like to give a shout-out to Todd Munkin. Um, mm-hmm. I think that was one of the most severely underrated hires of this coaching season as the offense coordinator in Baltimore after leading Georgia and uh, that offense with um, Stetson Bennett and company to two national titles. And now, I mean, what will the, the story be if Todd Munkin comes to Georgia and revolutionizes Kirby Smart's offense and brings it into the 21st century, mm-hmm. leads them to two national titles, and then in his first year in Baltimore as the OC, they win the Super Bowl. That'd be wild. Like, it's... In it, a year, like we said, that years that we've seen Lamar go up and down and people were really getting to... He had to, like, beg for contract practically threatened to leave the Ravens to get a contract and even and then teams weren't willing to trade for him, him. yeah or because there him. was enough question marks around Lamar Jackson and now he's an MVP talks he is currently the front runner my bookie doesn't have their estimates yet but bet MGM does at minus 160 uh up from plus 500 a week ago so obviously winning that Monday night football game was obviously huge for his odds Christian McCaffrey last week had the fifth best odds now the second best odds followed by Brock Purdy in the MVP odds rankings. Uh, before we get ready to go around the National Football League, congratulations to the Chicago Bears oh, yes. on a victory. We Cole Komet, hey, listen, uh, good, to see, good to see Good to see. You know the Notre Dame products is panning yes. out. I love Cole Komet, and I've been very high on Cole Komet from the from the beginning. But he's definitely he's on track to. He had seven touchdowns last year. He's on track to break the probably the receiving record. That, I would say the touchdown record also. He's played really good, and he's become just such a security blanket for Justin Fields. And even last night in the play that I had, uh, it wasn't a touchdown, but it was a massive 53-yard pass that put him into the red zone or right outside the red zone where they ended up being able to score. DJ Moore got banged up and wasn't even on the field at that time, and that's how much Komet has mattered to this offense, that even when you don't have your number one wide receiver out there, you're still – Cole Komet's able to find, get open and find, get the ball to him, and Justin's able to get the ball to him. I mean, so it's been really fun to watch him develop throughout the years. He got a contract this year, and he's earning it at this point. A lot of people had questions when they did pay him because he is one of the higher-paid higher tight ends in the league when they made it, and he's proving that he's been worth it, so – it's been fun to watch. And the Bears are still in the playoff. Hunt. They're clinging on. <laughs> I don't see it happening, but at this point, it's just honestly, it's, it, they have six wins. Obviously, they could, if they win out, you win the season with eight wins and the number one pick, most likely, because they have like a 97% chance of getting the number one pick because of Carolina. So you have the chance to go from three wins to eight wins with three other, you blew 20 point leagues. So. Technically, you should Probably already have, have nine, that, yeah. but so mm-hmm. it's a little frustrating to see that. But still, if you can end the season, they also end with the Packers this season. And I have a feeling it's going to come down to not the Bears possibly getting in, but if the Bear like the Bears keeping the Packers out of the playoffs, I have a feeling it's going to come down to that last week. So it's, I'm going to be so stressed that week. Um, but if you could go out that way, you beat the Packers, you split the division when you didn't win 
a division game for eight straight. You lost eight straight division games, and then you split it. You went end the season with eight, and you get the first-round pick. I think a lot of Bears fans will be way more optimistic. But um, it's just at, at the point. There's, like I think, like .0004% or something. So it's still there. It's not it's completely out, but a lot of miracle things have to happen. Uh, but I think we were out in, like, week five last year. So <laughs> I didn't. Thanks again to Bellwether for bringing us our bell ringers. Of course, Bellwether, where timeless American fair takes a modern turn. Located in downtown Jacksonville on West Forsyth Street. Go say hi to them today. When we come back, Taylor takes us around the National Football League. Coming up next on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Two more segments to go on tonight's edition of Helmets and Heels, a Lauren Brooks and J.J. LaSelva list edition. But Mia O'Brien, Taylor Dahl, or R.J. Saunders with you till 8 p.m. If you are into the college bowl game season, I was going to say the lower tier, but that's mm. mean. All bowl games matter. Yeah. I love oh. all bowl oh. games. Um, the First Responder Bowl presented by uh, Staffonia. Servi Pro, First Responders Pro. I love all the, the the sponsorships too are just tremendous. I love it. Um, currently tied tw- at twenty one between Texas State and Rice. Minnesota won the notorious Quick Lane Bowl in Detroit at Ford Field earlier mm. today. Uh, and if college football isn't your fancy, perhaps the National Football League is. And Taylor, take us around the best storylines from around the professional ranks this week. Yeah. So me, I think we have talked enough about the Jags. And where they are at in the locker room right now and how much people are freaking out and how much we feel like maybe the team is show, starting to show some frustration because they're the, not the only team in the NFL there right now. No. Um, they're not only even talking about teams who are playing bad and who are already eliminated. I think seven, eight teams already eliminated um, for, from, or maybe it was only like five right now, but potentially this weekend it could be up to nine ten already I don't know so there's a lot of teams there's some that are already completely out of the playoffs have no chance whatsoever and then there's teams who maybe have had a bit of a downfall who are also uh, struggling with a lot of injuries and things like that two teams that really have popped out especially recently over this weekend uh and this is even coming off a win Mia but Philly Mm -hmm. coming off a win yep 11 and 4 they're a game up from Dallas very similar to where the Jags sit right now. That game up, they've won. Th- they've won three of their last four. Uh, I mean, sorry, lost three of their last four, but been ag- against pretty good teams. So it's not like they've been losing to. Unfortunately, the Jags have been losing to backup quarterbacks and teams that have maybe but teams that are in the playoff, playoff hunt. hunt. Yes. Yeah. So um, there has, was a lot of frustration that you were seeing in that game, and this is even after a loss. And so that's what made me kind of think of it because I've uh, we've been saying the last few weeks like. They're still at, you know, they're still eight and four. They're still eight and five. They're still eight and six. And it's progressively getting closer, slow, uh, tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, they are still have eight wins. They're yep. still number one in the AFC South at this point. So I want to throw to this cut, um, Garrett, Mike Garofolo. He was talking about, because he was on the sideline after the win, and he recorded a video, and on the video – um, it didn't quite look like they just won a football game. So the Philadelphia well, Eagles. Yes, the Philadelphia mm-hmm. Eagles. So let's throw to Garofolo talking about the lack of excitement on the Eagles sideline. Uh, but you're right about the Eagles. It's just a weird game, a weird environment. You know, at the end of the game, we're on the sideline waiting to get our one-on-one interview. And a lot of times I like to take a little video of 
if it's a, a pivotal play. Let's see how the sideline reacts. Well, like I said, we got a long scramble here, so we're going to have a uh, some time to set it up. But watch this sideline because this is a big victory to end a losing streak. And you would think, okay, here's the excited sideline. Nope. Who's celebrating over there? I remember a couple minutes before that, Nick Sirianni's yelling at Hassan Reddick and Jeremiah Washburn. And it was a, a, just an odd experience over there. And then the postgame locker room, a lot of guys were taking a while to speak to the media. A.J. Brown didn't want to speak. He said, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm just going to. A bounce on this one. At least we aren't there. AJ Brown wouldn't talk to reporters after a win. Multiple didn't want to. Multiple players for the Philly after a win were so frustrated and irritated of things. And obviously you don't know what exactly there's things that go on on the sideline and conversations and in the huddle that maybe things were said that were supposed to happen and they didn't. Maybe someone messed up on a route or someone missed a block and it, they're frustrated from that. But at least we don't have players walking out and not talking to doing their postgame interviews. Yeah, like I'm – I mean, I'm, I'm just watching the video now from Mike Garofolo. One player congratulates Jumps. Keely yeah. Ringo. Yeah. One player I know. has the game-stealing interception first of his career. One player congratulates him. Uh, it's, and here's the problem is they've tried to blame Brian Johnson. 11 wins. 11. Miserable. And I've heard it. It's not just from Mike, by the way, of NFL Network. Like It's from multiple places that I have heard. They are the most miserable team. And it's like, there's something to be said about, well, now you have a target on your back. You have to be the hunter, hunted, not the hunter. Mm-hmm. And like that maybe changes your disposition and you feel pressure. But they, like they're not even having fun. Yeah. The teams that right now are playing the best in the National Football League are the ones you looks feel like, like they're fun. having fun. Like yeah. the L.A. Rams and Matthew Stafford Definitely. and Puka Nakua, like they are having Definitely. fun. The Ravens, Zay Flowers doing his little Grinch, yeah. like who stole Christmas, celebrate. Like they are having fun. Look, and I'm even going to say the Browns. Yes, the Browns right now. Joe Flacco <laughs> is the most fun player in the National Football League. They are like their whole team looks like they're having a good time, and Joe Flacco just has three hundred. Three straight 300-plus passing yard games. First time in his career, and he just has been chilling. Fifth, and then they fifth oldest <laughs> player to do that, by the way, behind Brady twice, Peyton, and I think Drew Brees. But it's such a large part of enjoying what you're doing, and I think that sometimes we get so wrapped up in that record and you know what, you th- what the expectation should be. And, you know, granted, I think some of that is on media. Media puts so much we put so much on some of these people when it, and some of these players when it comes to preseason stuff. And, oh, they should have X amount of wins, and this player should have this many receiving yards, and this player should have this many touchdowns. And they're having to see it and hear it on Twitter and all of these things. But at the same time, like, you have 11, you have 11 wins, and you have a Super Bowl appearance very mm-hmm. recently. There's teams who begging to even see the playoffs at this point, and you are pouting, walking off the field and not talking to a reporter after the game when you won. It's absolutely insane. And not even talking to your teammates as yeah. you walk in the locker room. It's absolutely absurd to me. I don't understand. Well, another place that's not uh, so fun lately, and I think that's where you were headed next. Kansas is, uh, City? Yeah, the yeah. reigning Super Bowl champions. Well, and that's what I was about to say. They uh, 9-6, and six, though, uh, so they have, uh, I guess, a little bit more. They're similar to the Jags in terms of the – it was it was 8-5, and five, or it was 8-2, yeah. and then, then it was 8-3, and three, then it was 8-4. Yeah. And, and you're like, oh, this five. is getting yeah. too close at this point. So, yeah, yeah they're 9-6, they're and six, uh, two game, only two games up from the Raiders because now the Raiders have notched out a couple wins. I bet the Raiders are regretting 
celebrating big time that three nothing loss because if they could have just scored six points in that game, they'd be go- have three. Yeah, they're eight wins. and seven. Yeah, they're one game back of the Chiefs. But they've lost. Kansas City have lost four of their last six games, and that obviously is part of what is calling them closer. But uh, Mahomes, this is one interesting thing to me, and Mahomes is coming off his worst game of his career. Five turnover-worthy plays, including a pick six, two dropped interceptions. He muffed a handoff that led to a fumble. 90% of his, almost 90% of his 230 passing yards came after catch. 200 of his 235 passing yards came from, came after catch. And so we talk about the receivers, are you yeah. dropping stuff? And all, But obviously they were making plays enough to have 200 yards when he had 35 air yards. 90% um, of 230, though, also would suggest... Huh, that sounds familiar. You're out here throwing behind the line of scrimmage, scrimmage, which I understand is a signature, you know, I understand screen passes are an extension of the run game. That's a part of it, In the Andy Reid style of of offense, and I understand Isaiah Pacheco went down, and but yeah. that's not – and the other op- ideal. The other option is you try to be like the Jags have been the last two weeks where they're trying to chuck it downfield yeah. for whatever the reason. Well, and they were, and Kadarius was dropping it, and other True. receivers are dropping it, so maybe that's why they're doing that. But he has 14 interceptions this season, third most in the NFL. So it's definitely – and this goes back to my conversation where me and JJ were screaming at mm-hmm. each other about how I did not believe Patrick Mahomes would be Patrick Mahomes if he was put on the Bears in 2021 – I mean in 2017 when Trubisky was drafted – because the weapons were probably worse than what Kansas City have right now. The line was definitely worse, and the yeah. defense was terrible at that point. And so I honestly think this is the product we would have seen, but a little worse, because he would have been thrown in as a rookie doing that, not multiple Super Bowl winner Patrick Mahomes at this point doing this. And that was my argument all along. Anyways, real quick, before we hit break, I just want to hear this clip, because Pat McAfee, he went on a little rant today Ooh. talking about some of the frustrations. And this is more of what I'm focusing on, like the team – frustrations and how they're handling those on the sidelines and impressors. And as people are saying, Jags are frustrated. Other teams are too. So this is McAfee talking about that in Kansas City. Did you see how mad Travis Kelsey got? Oh, yeah. Travis Kelsey came off on the sideline after another three and out. He chucked his helmet. This mm. dude has the number one sports podcast on earth. Then yeah, he broke it. Oh, I need my football game. Andy Reid says, don't give him his football helmet yet. Let me give him a little. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to give you a noogie next. Wake yeah. up. Travis Kelsey wasn't the only one mad. No. Uh-uh. No. We've been seeing Patrick Mahomes different than we've ever seen Patrick Mahomes. Here's Patrick Mahomes chewing out the offensive line. Oh. Now, it didn't become a Derek Carr, Saints Center no. situation, McCoy, no. where they thought about fighting him. They listened to him. They respect him. Obviously, Tooney respects him. We've won a Super Bowl together. That's Patrick Mahomes. You can go ahead and get out whatever you want to get out. But Patrick Mahomes now, numerous times over the last couple of weeks during Chief season, whenever football matters, they got to play their best football. Losing is cool. Yeah. Oh, no. It's rough out there. And I think that's another thing. Like, I feel like we're not seeing that. We're seeing some frustrations here or there, and we've seen some moments, but we're not seeing our quarterbacks or our tight ends or other players, wide receivers, leaving or screaming at their players or coaches having to shove them to calm them down on there the sideline. There might be Jags fans that want that, yeah, but like I'm not sure fired. you want it. We had that in 2017 that's right. in, in, or 2018, I guess, at that point. It, that's not the locker room you want. No, and here's the thing. like, It's one thing when, you know, it's been a couple weeks now of, oh, Mahomes, look at him trying to light a fire and, mm-hmm. and you know, take make his offensive line take accountability and make Kadarius Tony be accountable for his mistakes. No. Now it's just yelling to yell. Yeah. And it's like clearly the message isn't getting through because it's a talent deficiency. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying the Chiefs aren't talented because I think they are, but I, I don't think it's one of those things that you can yell through it and find your way to a victory. Yeah. Or throw your helmet. No. That's not going to solve anything. No. 
If anything, the two leaders on your team and the two best players on your team, arguably, I know there's some guy at least on the offensive side of the ball, and Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes are the guys that you want to see keep their cool in those moments. And maybe that would add a little bit extra to the offense, but instead they're seeing you absolutely lose your mind. So what do you expect them to do? Absolutely. Uh, we will hit some college hoops. We will also discuss the Christmas holiday. Speaking of R.J. Saunders, I may call an audible. Uh, could you give us a little NBA update since you are a resident NBA fan? We'll do that and a whole lot more coming up next in our final segment of tonight's episode of Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. A Tuesday night tradition in Duval. Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. And now for something completely different. Taylor, yes. before I have R.J. Saunders get us caught up on the association, which unofficially, let's be real, it begins in October, but we know mm-hmm. the NBA truly begins on Christmas Day, even if the NFL tried to steal it this year. It did. Uh, you took your nephew to an Iceman game. So let's, let's give our local hockey team a little love and yes. also uh, tell me more about the experience because he's three years old, right? He's three, yes. Okay. So he turned three in August. Um yeah, so he this is his first ice spin game. He's been to a few shrimp games. Uh, those are nice because you can just, like, go to the outfield and let him run around if you need to. Uh, so I was interested to see how he would react. It's also, if you've been to a hockey game or an ice spin game, it's loud. There's a lot going on. Uh, the music's loud. They have the, the horns loud. The It's not loud, obviously, when they're playing because really what you're hearing is the puck and whatever. But when people are cheering, you're in that condensed space with people around you. So... It definitely is an allowed environment, and for a kid, sometimes that's overwhelming. So, And you're sitting in a row in a seat, not not much to do from that. So I was interested to see how it would go, but he honestly seemed to love it, and it was so cute. It made my heart happy because you know I love hockey. And uh, when I invited my brother, my brother was like, yeah, not sure how long we'll stay. We'll see if he'll like right. pay attention and sit in his seat and whatever, but we'll be there. And he had a blast. It was so cute. He was doing the little let's go Iceman, like clap Mm -hmm. thing. And he was starting a couple chants at one point because like he would start doing, he'd be like, let's go Iceman and start clapping. And like the people around thought it was so cute that they'd start it. And he thought it was like the coolest thing ever because they would start clapping with him. That's awesome. Um, Adorable. It wasn't the best of, they ended up leaving. They made it through two periods. After that, it was also getting late. So my brother was like, we probably should go. Um, Unfortunately, at that point, it was three nothing. And they we they missed both Iceman goals that happened in the third period. But uh, I don't think my nephew knew the difference. He just heard cheering and thought that cool things were happening. Um, we didn't see any like major fights or anything like that. So I, I haven't got to he hasn't got to experience that yet. But still, he had a blast and it was adorable. And he was starting chance. And he already last night when I went over uh, to go for the, our Christmas dinner. He was already asking me, when are we going to Iceman? And I was I like, love oh, that. my God, yes. Fantastic. Do they have him playing any sports yet? Not yet. So my brother will probably put him in T-ball. My brother was a baseball player. So that's his main thing. Um, but I already asked him. He's like, I'm not going to force anything. Like, I'll let him try different ones and whatever he likes most, let him do. But T-ball will probably be the first thing he puts him in because my brother played T-ball from a very, very young age. The Iceman, by the way, 14, 9, and 3, but 6, 3, and 1 in their last 10. Yeah. So kind of getting it together. Mm-hmm. I mean, obvi- the season's long. Regular oh, season yeah. runs uh, until April. Yeah. 
And soon we will, I, th- I want to say in January, they are, we'll have a ton of tickets to start giving away to games starting in January because they usually wait until once football season starts dwindling down and people have more time. So look forward to that the next Ooh. three, four, five months, hopefully, when if they make the playoffs. So. Nice little teaser. That's why yep. you keep it locked in here on the Superstation. Uh, speaking of, since we cover everything here on 1010XL, RJ. Yes, ma'am. Did the mean... Roger Goodell, was he the Grinch that stole the NBA on Christmas? I would have to say he was. Um, You know, normally NBA Christmas Day games, everyone is, you know, kind of gathering around, maybe peeking in and out sometimes of, you know, what's the score and things like that. Uh, For me, to be honest with you, uh, you know, I was was locked in all the the NFL games, so – um, wow, they stole you too. Yeah, they stole. They and stole mind me. you, they had six games or one, two, three, four, five games, and three of them were decided by ten points or less. Yeah, and it, RJ still was flipping oh, over the to NBA. the NFL. Yeah, the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you had three games that all but came down to the wire. Yeah, and yet you were watching the NFL. I mean, except for two: Knicks and the Bucks, and of course the Lakers and the Celtics. Other other than that, you know. When you hear Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler aren't playing, then that's a scratch. Uh, Phoenix is imploding right before our very eyes, so that wasn't really a game that you know I really had my eyes on. Although I hate that I missed it because uh, Luca gave him a fifty-piece oh, and hold the fries. Um, <laughs> and you know Steph Curry, his Christmas struggles continue. Yep. Um, has yet to score over twenty points. Wow. Uh, well, he's only scored twenty points once um, in his Christmas Day. Uh, games and outings that that he's had, but a real you know good outing by uh, the Warriors and and the Nuggets as well in that game. But you know I don't, there were only two games that were on my mind yesterday. Uh, which speaking of the Lakers are sixteen and fifteen. I know the soundbite from LeBron before the loss was you know I'm just focused on like, opening presents with my daughter and then I'll worry about the game later. Uh, did that come back to haunt him a little bit? Kobe Bryant would never. <laughs> that, <laughs> sorry, I mean, sorry to the Bryant <laughs> yeah. women. That that's that that's all I'd have to say. I mean, you know, Kobe would be focused on the game, and I hate being that guy. But you know, you would think as a guy that's you know one of the greatest players of all time in LeBron James, and yes, you know, I'm I'm saying that as a Kobe guy, but one of the greatest players of all time for that to be your mindset that you know I'm not worried about the game. I, you know, come on, man. That's not that's something that I don't want to hear. Even if I'm not a fan of LeBron, if you're just looking at one of the greatest players, you know, I've rarely heard a great player say something to that effect. So, um, yeah, Kobe Bryant would never LeBron. But also, this is a classic like Lakers team. I think where you know between Russ and Anthony Davis, where they're 16 and 15 right now, and LeBron's going to be like, well, it's okay because we'll turn it on in February and March, and we'll make the playoffs and we'll figure it out from there. That's kind of the vibe I get. Not, not, not right now. No? Um, actually, you know, he's blaming it on the injuries that you know we've been injured, so we don't really know what what team we are right now. Uh, however, you know, although I can say that's a fair argument because a lot of guys have been injured and minutes are fluctuating up and down. Um, as the leader of this team, and he shouldn't be at age forty. It should be if it's his team. Anthony Davis should be the best player on that team, but. Unfortunately, that's just not happening, although Anthony Davis is having a good year. I'll give that to him. Um, But LeBron, you know, he has to be the leader. Tell these guys that, hey, we have to figure this out. Whoever we have is who we're playing with. And, um, you know, just to say, well, you know, we're an injury-laden team, so you really can't define us yet. Um, If your two best players are on the floor, we we can define you. And, 
right now the Lakers aren't playing a Los Angeles Laker basketball to the effect that us spoiled Laker fans are accustomed to uh, from years prior. <laughs> but that in-season banner, it, it hangs forever. Taylor. Mia, for stop. Taylor. Yes. stop. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll, let me turn off your mic. Stop. <laughs> so, RJ, when it, a month and a half, less than a month and a half for the NBA tra- trade deadline, who do you think are going to be heavy buyers during that time? Heavy buyers, I, you know, of course I feel like it's going to be the Los Angeles Lakers. They're they're going to buy and for— This is what I meant, RJ. It's <laughs> fine. We're going to fix it at the deadline and then have a big second half <laughs> yeah, of the year. It's fine. But I don't think that they should. See, that that's the thing. They're looking for a guard. You're hearing DeJounte Murray now. Uh, you've also heard uh, other names around the association. I don't know if it's a guard that you need. We need another guy to score 20 points. Um, when you can't— you know, hit three-point baskets, and you also aren't playing great defensively either. Um, you know, I just don't know if that is the answer um, every year for Los Angeles. Last yeah. year you did this. You you know, you cleaned house. You brought in Rui. You brought in D'Angelo Russell. You brought in Jared Vanderbilt. Had this amazing turnaround. Go to the Western Conference Finals. Now you, you're saying that you want to do the same thing this year. It it, it doesn't work with a lot of teams in the mm-hmm. NBA, and the Lakers are going to be no different. But if I had to say that a buying team mm-hmm. uh, this year, def- it's definitely going to be Los Angeles. Lakers. You do not want Zach Levine. I, I, I gently use Zach Levine. <laughs> do you want him? Would you flip him <laughs> for some picks to the Bulls? I mean, for 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 what? So you. I think he can be the third best guy on a championship team. But if you're saying, listen, hey, Zach, um, you're only going to be able to take seven to ten shots a contest, and four of those we're going to need those to be made threes. He's going to look at the contract that he has and say – I'm a seven number to one ten, guy. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe seventeen to twenty. Uh, you know, so I, I think that's going to be you know a problem there as well for the Los Angeles Lakers. And if that's your answer to go get Zach Levine and Alex Caruso, and you think that's going to turn the whole ship around, it, it's just not going to work. I think coaching's a big problem with Darvin Ham, but um, it's it's just not going to work out if you're if you're electing to say let's just clean house once again and and see if this can work, and let's just throw things at the wall. It could always be worse. You could be Pistons. The Detroit Pistons. You oh, my God, 26 so. straight yeah, like I've never seen. Like, if you scroll through the NBA standings, I know this is bad radio, <laughs> two, but, like, if you're watching on YouTube. Two and 27. This is, like, absurd. Like, you see, like, okay, lost one, won three, lost two, lost seven, uh, lost one, lost 26. <laughs> the Texas Rangers. I down to the bottom, and I was like, L26. Yeah, the Texas Rangers won a game more recently, just to remind you all, in case you missed that fun fact last week. It's absolutely absurd. Well, the Spurs also only have four wins, too. Yeah, but they have, I mean, they have Victor Wimanyama, though. True. So, so we'll give them that. Uh, And then real quick, obviously, in the college basketball front, uh, a big win for FAU over the weekend as they defeat number one Arizona, Purdue, the number one team in the land once more. Um, We'll be curious to see if they can actually hold on to that or if they will fall to the likes of a... Northwestern. Uh, no, they're not playing Northwestern this week. Don't worry. <laughs> they are in the clear. Um, they will not be losing to Northwestern. Uh, and thankfully, if you actually look at the uh, the upcoming slate for Purdue, they uh, have Eastern Kentucky on Friday, Taylor, at home oh. in West Lafayette. So I think, I think right. they may be able to hold on to the number one ranking in the AP poll for another week. Um, Kansas, Houston, Tennessee, and Illinois, perhaps the biggest risers by virtue of UConn, uh, Creighton. The Big East is as – Crazy as it has been since its new iteration came into form. UConn, um, actually, this is a saucy nug for you all to take home with you, um, for your college basketball fans. UConn has won as many national titles in the past 23 years as they have conference openers. Five. 
So yeah, they uh, they fall to, to they fall in their opener to Shaheem the Dream. Can I ask and, uh, real quick? Do yeah. you have it? The do you have Purdue, Kansas, Houston, Arizona, UConn on yours? Like the AP rankings? Purdue, too? Kansas, Houston, Tennessee. Oh, you have Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That does it for tonight's edition of Helmets and Heels. Our thanks to R.J. Saunders for pinch hitting for J.J. LaSelva. For the absent Lauren Brooks and for Taylor Dahl, we thank you for joining us in this limbo Christmas week of sorts. We will catch you later.